This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. It's Wednesday, October 19th, and uh, thanks a lot for joining us here on Real Talk. Like, thanks a lot. We got a great show in store today. Journalist Brandy Morin is going to be hanging out with us in just a few minutes. She's back from this uh, this whirlwind tour. She was in New York. She was in Chicago. She's been speaking to journalism students across North America. An absolutely unbelievable year for the uh, the author of Our Voice of Fire. It's a bestseller. It remains there. I'm, I'm, I'm reading... Uh, Two or three different things about Brandy's book when I see people talking about it on social media. Uh, number one, it's it's blowing readers away. Uh, it's making a major impact. Number two, uh, people are having a hard time finding it. It appears to be sold out everywhere that, uh, that it uh, occupied shelves. The more that people hear about it, uh, the more they're looking to track it down, which is fantastic. Uh, and number three, there was a special connection when Brandy was in New York to accept the Edward R. Murrow Award for her journalism uh, some storytelling for a mini series, a six part series for Al Jazeera English on Canada's missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Uh, this one of the top shelf journalism awards. I mean, she described it as the Academy Awards of journalism. I'm looking forward to getting her take on that. But she just had a chance uh, to present that award to show it to her dad. And that's where it gets personal. And that's where it gets meaningful. And Brandy's going to tell us uh, some stories and, and get us up to speed on, on what she's covering and what she's talking about these days. That in just a bit. We're going to take you out to Jasper today uh, for my Jasper memories. The Jasper Dark Sky Festival is underway as we speak. If you don't have plans for this weekend, you may want to consider that regardless of where you're tuning in from Canada right now. This is an amazing way. Uh, to see the Jasper Dark Sky Preserve, to see the Canadian Rocky Mountains uh, in a very special way and learn more about the the universe around us. Plus, prompted uh, by a tweet from a listener, a subscriber to Real Talk, Laurel, yesterday, I appreciate it. We're going to try to get to the bottom of the question I think a lot of people have been asking this week, and that is, why does John Hicks, the technical producer of this show, hate Art. Oh God! Come on. And I'm hoping that we can get into this and get, and get to the bottom it's of this. That's true. Question. I love art. I te- technically I am an artist. I mean, you, questionable, but not even technically. Definitively, you are an artist. Technical graphic, but artist, but I guess. but yeah. Laurel yesterday wanted to know, and we'll track down the tweet. We're going to have some fun with it. Obviously, this is based off the story of the demonstrators uh, that that targeted uh, Van Gogh's sunflowers in the National Gallery with tomato soup. Of course, it was covered by glass. They were trying to prove a point about climate change, about cost of living increases. It got us talking about art. And you basically said, uh, you said, I don't get it. You said, I just don't get it. Yeah. And I think we were talking about the difference between a painting that's 10 bucks and a painting that's 100 million. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so it prompted Laurel to reach out and she said she was actually really upset at you. And so I thought maybe we could hash it out. If the show's called Real Talk and we never have real talk about real life stuff, then what kind of a show is it? So we'll keep an eye on the live chat for that. We're also, of course, going to keep an eye on our hashtag. That's Real Talk RJ. That's where you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We're on TikTok too, by the way. Give us a follow. That hashtag is powered by our friends at Park Power. They're in the internet, electricity, and natural gas game. Your friendly local utilities provider. They want I want to remind you that this time of year, people are going to set themselves up either for success or for sticker shock. Uh, if you're running electric space heaters this winter, maybe you're heating your garage with some sort of electric device. You're going to want to be careful about that, by the way. 
or whether you're using more natural gas than usual, the costs are up. People are going to be firing up their furnaces shortly if you haven't already. Why not compare the rates, the fixed rates, the variable rates, what you could be paying with Park Power. Bundle your services to save more and use the promo code 2022-REALTALK to knock $70 off your first bill from Park Power. Now, once you're hooked up with Park Power, you're going to also want to consider elevating your energy game with Kubi Energy. You know, they're Western Canada's definitive source for reputable Tesla-certified solar installations. Kubi's got you covered for solar energy solutions to power your life. You know, they've got a lot of great questions that they answer. The frequently asked questions link on their blog at kubienergy.ca. You know, people often ask, for example, where do the batteries go? We don't need batteries. You know, rather than pay to store your excess energy in a battery, you can sell it back to the grid, sell it back to Park Power, get a credit for it. Uh, A lot of times you can even get a premium through it with Park Power. Of course, if you do need batteries, they offer the Tesla Powerwall at Kubi Energy. That's kubienergy.ca. Brandy Morin has been a wonderful friend of this show from the moment we launched. She's a member of our editorial board, and uh, boy, are we uh, blown away by the the power, the impact of her career, in particular over the past couple of years, telling stories uh, oftentimes fueled by her unique perspective uh, as an Indigenous journalist uh, working in Canada, telling the stories that demand to be told, her work with Al Jazeera English on a, a miniseries uh, most recently earned her an Edward R. Murrow Award for Journalism, which she accepted in person in New York City just a short time ago. Brandy Morin joining us live on today's edition of Real Talk. It's so nice to see your face again, although I feel like I've been seeing it everywhere. The photos from New York and Chicago and the awards and, and Lit Fest. And you're speaking to journalism students. And what a whirlwind for you. Thank you, Taniki. Hello, Ryan. Thank you so much. It's good to see you. We wanted as well. we wanted to uh, we wanted to invite you to get into studio here. Uh, I'm excited to show you the studio at some point. And and you said to me, you're like, listen, you're like, I if if my memory serves correct, you have just your flight like just landed. You're just getting home. You're a mom. You miss your kids, and you're already getting back at it, telling another story. I mean, it's nonstop for you right now. Yes. So I was gone to New York and Chicago for a week. My flight came home at 2 a.m. on Sunday. I literally had maybe a few hours with my family. Then I did Lit Fest and I am here at home and I fly out again tomorrow uh, to Vancouver for the Vancouver International Authors Festival. So it's it's a little busy. <laughs> now, well, listen, I want to I want to talk to you about your Edward R. Murrow Award. I know you, you had a chance to show it to your dad and that meant a lot to you. I want to talk about the miniseries, uh, the feature series that earned you that award. I mean, you earned the award. You know what I mean? Um, but but why don't we talk? I mean, you've, you've just spoken at Lit Fest in Edmonton. You're on your way uh, to the Authors Festival in Vancouver. Our Voice of Fire. We talked to you in that book just before I think that book was was set to come out and we knew it was going to be a powerful story. Uh, it, it's great uh, and, and, and powerful and, and oftentimes very moving um, and sometimes very difficult uh, subject matter insight into what fuels your journalism. But, but Brandy, did, did you understand fully the impact that this book was going to have or are you still pinching yourself when you wake up every morning? Oh, man. <clears throat> you know, when it became a bestseller within uh, the first couple of weeks of its release, I was really stunned this is my first experience writing a book. 
And, um, you know, I, I, it, it has been a whirlwind. And so it's something that I'm still taking in. And um, it's a lot of work. Not it's it's a lot more work um, promoting the book and, you know, uh, doing the interviews and engaging with people than it than it was actually to write the book. Hmm. It's such a new experience. And, um, you know, even at Lit Fest, the most recent uh, event that I did with my book there, you know, was people coming up to me and crying um, and just thanking me, you know, for sharing my story because of how much it impacted them and, and how they were inspired to, you know, step out and pursue something in their life. Um, you know, because I overcame barrier after barrier, you know, and, and kept moving forward uh, you know, to accomplish, you know, these things that I'm doing. And so having those personal interactions with, with people, that's where I'm seeing these impacts. And I'm blown away because, you know, some of them are a lot older than me, like they're all ages, but to, to hear these people tell me, sorry. No, we're dog friendly. Leonard. Yes. Leonard, come here. What? Yeah. Let's see. What what kind of dog is Leonard? Leonard. What kind of, what breed is Leonard or What's I'll Leonard's story? Come here, buddy. Lenny. I love it. Your dog shares a name with Connor McDavid's dog, you know. Does he? Yeah. Oh, Leonard. What a what a what a handsome chihuahua. Wow. He's just a puppy. He's just a pop? Yeah, he is. I I got him in June and he's about 6 7 months old now and uh he's a very good little dog, but sometimes he gets a little excited if he thinks someone's here. Well, he's doing his he's doing his job then. That's good. Well, keep Leonard on camera. This is my heart is full when there's animals in the picture. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, with with regards to your book and the, and, and the power of it and, and the, everything that's been happening. I mean, the feedback. I would imagine the personal stories. I mean, your 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 story is one of survival. And Brandy, I encourage people to go back in our Real Talk archives and search for your previous conversations with us because we really dig into the book. I mean, you're a survivor. Uh, you're, yeah. you're, you know, and, 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 and you really put it out there for everybody. Was there, was there one conversation or one bit of feedback? Was there one moment from a reader that really made an impact? Like when I ask you the question, is there one that comes to mind right away? Not necessarily mm-hmm. one specifically, but there were many, even other survivors that have reached out to me to thank me because they did not feel uh, that they were able to talk about or share their stories of survival. And so this helped them, you know, through some of their own healing processes. And I've had people comment to me about the book saying, oh, it's just so raw and honest and authentic. And I'm like, well, of course it is. Like, it's, it's a memoir. And I I guess people aren't really used to that authenticity I guess the way that people have been responding to it uh you know I I I don't beat around the bush about my experiences but now that I think about it I hear the same things when people are responding to the journalism that I do in that it's authentic and the you know the the people the stories uh, come through in a very 
organic raw way. And so I think people are, you know, really hungering for that kind of um, for that kind of truth, for that kind of realness, you know, you're on, this is real talk. Yeah. <laughs> right? so well, I guarantee people are, I mean, it's captivating Brandy and I'm not just uh, here to pump your tires. My, 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 my support of your career and my, my, you know, what do I say? My interest in virtually everything you do is, is from a position of, of conviction. Like, you know, even, I mean, I think of like your work on the West coast and covering the Wet'suwet'en uh, story in the blockades. And I want to chat a bit about that. Let's make some time for that. Um, your, your, your passionate storytelling, uh, uh, demanding that, that this nation and the, the, the people in Canada pay more attention uh, to, to this very real issue, this, this epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, this Edward R. Murrow award that you received. I mean, you know, you tell stories in, in a very different way than most, and you know, your stories on the ground, so to speak. And I think that that also to state the obvious, something I know you're well aware of, uh, indigenous representation in storytelling uh, is something that people in this country are demanding to see more of. And uh, and, and your work is, is evidence that there's a there's a real audience for it. Well, you know, Ryan, I've been doing this for over 10 years now, and it wasn't always this way. Mm. Um, you know, I had to, to you know, spar with editors and decision makers many times um, in the mainstream uh, regarding the importance of our stories. And uh, that's why I decided to, you know, I, I was at some indigenous uh, news organizations. I was at APTN National News. I was at CBC Indigenous. But I found that the, you know, the overall response for a long time in this country to the, um, the gross uh, racism and, um, you know, human rights violations that are happening uh, was met with apathy and indifference. And I was really sick of that. So that's when I decided to reach outside of the borders of this country and start to bring these stories to the world. And that's when I started working with Al Jazeera English. That's when I started doing work with, you know, the New York Times and eventually National Ge Geographic and, you know, all of these other uh, mediums to get the word out there. And that's when I started seeing huge breakthroughs. But they happened to coincide with a lot of the uh, transformations that were happening within this country as a whole. And, you know, even though I've been doing this for so many years, unfortunately, it was only just a couple of years ago when Canada was really shaken up enough when the graves of our children started to be unveiled. And uh, the rest of the world, you know, was watching in, in horror and disbelief. Mm. And it was then again that another turn took for people to be open and ready for the truths, right? Which are ugly, which are uncomfortable, but they're essential. They're essential in regards to this truth and reckoning process. Mm. So well said. Um, can we, uh, for, for those that are going to be listening to this on the podcast, can 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 we get you to describe your look in New York City on awards night? Did I hear it was Derek Jagodinsky? Is that right? That designed yeah. your that designed your look. Uh, he's he's a brilliant designer. Uh, and then can we talk about your makeup? Yeah. So um, yeah, I approached Derek. He's uh, an incredible Cree designer based in Edmonton, and this is a black tie event. 
And I, you know, I wanted to make a statement. I wanted to support Indigenous designers. So I chose this bright, beautiful blazer that he had made and paired it with um, these uh, earrings made by uh, Savage Rose, an artist named Me Melanie Parsons based in Treaty 6 Calgary. I had her commission me these feather earrings, these long red feather earrings for Missing and Murdered in order to honor and bring awareness. And so um, when I was at the awards, we weren't given an opportunity to make a state or to make a speech. Mm. And so we, you know, we go up on stage, we get our awards, the audience applause, we get our photo taken. So because of the content of what I won for, which is the crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, um, I wanted to make a statement in that moment. And so I decided to paint uh, my hand uh, that red handprint on my face uh, in order to bring awareness to that. And it's a genocide. And so uh, that was very, um, you know, obviously very prominent. And I, I think it, it made the statement uh, very well. So. It's uh, we're, we're, we're Johnny was just showing us an image of you holding the Edward R. Murrow award uh, it, with that makeup, this, this solemn look on your face. And it is a powerful image uh, and it says a thousand words or many more. Hey, had you been given an opportunity to put you on the spot here, Brandy, had you been given an opportunity to, to address the audience, uh, to address those that were watching the live stream, uh, what would you have said? Well, I would have said, you know, um, this award is for the families of our sisters, our daughters and our mothers who have been stolen this award is for you know all of the families that are sharing these stories and living you know with this agony of this genocide and for the survivors you know that have lived through this violence and i would have said that you know it's time that our stories have you know, are brought into the limelight that I had worked for so long for this to happen. Um, and I would have said hi, hi to Al Jazeera English for investing in this because how it worked, Ryan, is I had been pitching this series. It's a six part series, uh, multimedia with, uh, you know, uh, photos and videos, by the way, Amber Bracken, um, award winning photojournalist. Brilliant. Uh, did the photography and the videography for this series. But this series I pitched for a year to several different media organizations and Al Jazeera kind of had it on their back bench. It was a lot, you know, it, it required a big investment because it was like writing a book. Each of these, uh, there were six parts and each was like a chapter, like 5,000 words or more. So at the end of the year, it was December uh, I think it was 2000. It was the end of the year. They had a pot of money left over. They contacted me and said, hey, do you want to go do these series? This is what we have. And I said, yep, let's do it. I had done most of the research already. So I think by the end of January, Amber and I were out on the road uh, working on that series and it, it started to get published. It started rolling out the fall of 2021 and then early, earlier uh, this year. 
I don't think and people understand what goes. So you, so you, let's say you get the green light in in the beginning of 2020, and you start this thing starts rolling out about a about a year later. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I did a lot of work in TV. I produced a miniseries out of Ethiopia back in the day in 2008, and I remember you know saying to people, people sort of try to get some insight into what goes in a, into a project like that, and typically we would say. You know, with exceptions, for every minute of storytelling that you see, for every minute of finished product, there's about an hour of raw video that's been shot and worked on, mm-hmm. let alone, I mean, the, the sound, the video, the editing crews that go into it, the writing that go. the writing is, I mean, interviewing is one thing, right? The visual storytelling is one thing, but the writing, um, which is where I think well, you really yeah. shine, um, but, but there's so much that goes into something a project like this, let alone one where you're probably feeling an immense degree of conviction about like how personally important to you is this? Well, project? it is because there's literal lives on the line, right? Um, you know, and so, yeah, no, it was, it was the end of December, 2020 that, that we had the, the uh. green light and the funding. It started rolling out the fall of 2021 and then early 2022. Um, but yeah, not only is the writing, Ryan, there's the research, which yeah. is extensive as well. You have pre-research, you have post-research, um, you know, we're on the ground for a couple of few weeks at a time and uh you know long hours meeting with families who have endured trauma taking in you know all of this i i met with the two uh lead investigators of the epana unit which is a unit of the rcmp that is specifically assigned to the highway of tears these two officers you know were, you know, helped head the Robert Picton case. They flew up from Burnaby to Prince George for this meeting. We met with them. We filmed. There was so much uh, involved, absolutely. And then coming home and putting that all together, like literally they were like like little chapters from, from a book. And the passion that goes into that, of course, yes, I'm a survivor of this crisis, but I think about it as, you know, there. this is an ongoing genocide. This is so important. And, and I think where I really um, do best in my work is, yes, in my writing, but I really um, strive for people to connect with the human beings in my stories. And that comes through. I take people to the scenes. I, uh, you know, um, I describe, you know, their lives and, you know, their, their, their character. And, and I think people uh, connect with that because that's missing a lot of times, especially in uh, the way that our stories have been portrayed. There's been a lot of context that's been missing and left out. There's been, you know, that humanity missing, which has, you know, really contributed to a lot of this racism and ongoing violence against our people, because understand how much power the media has to help um, the, you know, help uh, form the perceptions of society about our own societies right so the influence that we have and the power and responsibilities that we have is really huge i take this seriously this isn't just you know a day job right i consider this to be uh, a purpose a life mm. purpose you know and uh, i'm 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 just getting started just because i got this award uh it doesn't mean you know that you know i've 
you know, that I'm that I'm stopping anytime soon. I'll show you the award really quick. Yeah, I know. I, I should have asked to see it already. I, I if see, I'm like, why doesn't she have it on the shelf right behind her? If I get a Murrow award, <laughs> carrying that, that thing around like a Stanley Cup ring. Look at that. Yeah. Hey, so what is that? Like, honestly, what goes through your mind when you're holding this thing? Like, Brandy, for people outside of journalism, this is a big, this is like someone winning an Emmy. This is like winning an Academy yeah. Award. Well, like I say that, yes. Like other than a Pulitzer Prize, right? This is the sure. top in the world. Yeah. This is the top in the world. And so I consider it like I won an Oscar of the journalism. And you know what? I'm going to boast about it to the world because I know what this represents. This represents representation for our people. This represents a breakthrough for our, uh, you know, our stories. Like I was rubbing shoulders there with the most powerful people in this industry. And it was funny because the majority of them were from the US. There was a couple of people that won, I believe from um, the the UBC. I'm not, I can't remember exactly, but I was walking around at dinner time there was a woman that had come from new york city a former reporter that had known of my work and she got tickets at the last minute by the way tickets were like 500 and some dollars canadian it was very fancy um at gotham hall in new york city mm. an incredible venue i i felt like it's the batman award or something but anyway so this woman um was was bringing me around and introducing me to people you know and this one woman that she introduced me to I was talking with and you know she she was um she was uh you know talking about my award and congratulating me and like we were holding hands for a couple of minutes and I was like thank you and we we walked away and and the lady that was leading me around she said well don't you know who that is and I said no who is it (laughs) Anyways, she's apparently known as like the most powerful woman in the broadcast world. And she's in her 70s and she's still out there working. Her name's Andrea Mitchell. Oh, yeah. And she, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And so I, um, you know, it was just moments like these. And I was just like, I had, you know, brought their attention, you know, to this. I don't know if they had been aware about it before, but in that moment I did. And uh, the applause was the longest of the night when I went Mm -hmm. up there. And so it was that not that I'm boasting for myself. It's because I'm I'm representing, you know, these stories. I'm representing our sisters and such uh, in that. Right. And um, nobody who follows you would think that you're boasting. It's not it's actually like one of the things I love is that you have this. um, can I tell you about this? This So people always ask me, what, what's my favorite quote? And I always want to have one locked and loaded. And, and my pal Jonathan, uh, he, he, told, he told me this. He said it sort of off the cuff when we were still in university, and it stuck with me for 25 years. And he says, a person should always wear a coat with two pockets. And in one pocket, a note that says, I am nothing but dust and ash. And in the other pocket, a note that says, the world was created for me. Wow. And, and I feel like you have found that balance. There's like, there, there's like, because still, I mean, you're, you're, you're an accomplished and award-winning journalist, but you're also 
Like you have so much runway. And so I, you know, so there's with you, there's like kind of this wonderment part of it. Like you're like, I'm in New York. This is amazing. Of I'm winning course. a Merrill award. This is incredible. And, <laughs> I then, was, I was and then at the same time, right? you're like, you know, you belong. You're like, hell yeah. Like, you know, look at my work. And oh, uh, come and on though, Ryan, it wasn't balance. like that. I had my friend with me and I was nervous as hell. Were you? I said, I don't know how to roll with these high rollers. Uh, and my friend, my friend looked at me before she walked away and she said, Brandy, you're the high roller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they better. Feel, hey, but okay. So then, so then, so you're hobnobbing and rubbing shoulders, and like you're, you know, you're, you're. Uh, you know, I would hope that you, you know, you're, you're grabbing a bunch of business cards, and people are, at, people are starting to follow you on Twitter. You never know who you're going to work with next. I mean, the opportunities I would imagine are incredible to be in these rooms. But take us back to the more personal moment. Take take us back to the moment where you put this award in your dad's hands. Oh, you know. I call my dad from the different places that I travel and, you know, he knew that I was there and he came home because he works out of town. So it's been a couple of few months since I seen him and uh, (laughs) he's kind of just an old school kind of cowboy guy. And um, I just showed him um, the award and, and he looked it over and you know, he, he just, I don't even remember exactly what he said because it was kind of like just a moment. And, um, you know, I know that he's really proud of me. He always tells, you know, he always would say, what are you doing? Just, you know, get a steady job here and get a steady paycheck. And, but then each time that I go out and, um, you know, accomplish another milestone, I know that he's proud of me for not just um settling for the status quo and maybe you know not listening to his advice which i know that came from a place of love that he wanted me to be you know safe and taken care of and stable because this is a business as a freelancer and doing this it's it's not always stable and so i you know it was it was a a mixed moment of like okay see what i did dad and Mm. (laughs) And him, you know, being proud. So that's yeah. oh, amazing. Uh, I, I just dropped in the live chat. I've, I've just been kind of in chat with you. I feel like we're just having a coffee together. So I haven't been reading what people have been saying. But, you know, your work is making a real impact on people. And, uh, you know, Sharon uh, Morin is watching this morning. She says, after I read Brandy's book, all I wanted to do was hug her. You know, it's so relatable. Uh-huh. She said it's so relatable to our urban indigenous lives. Mm. which is a powerful comment. Uh, there was another one that I wanted to, to read to you because I know that this is going to mean something to you, Brandy. And and it's, uh, oh, first of all, what's Randy talking about here? Randy wants me to let you know that he's wearing your mixed blood hat at the oh moment. My gosh. What, what does that mean? Uh, oh my gosh. So a few years ago, after I had my baby, Elasia, um, I I was on maternity leave and I got bored. <laughs> so I just, I designed an indigenous um, apparel line with uh, incorporating uh, Cree and uh, Mohawk language on it. And I actually did very well with that for a while. I did some runway shows. Um, and so it was called Mixed Bot Apparel. So he's probably wearing uh, my hat from that. Wow. And I just. Yeah, is that I still like if I Google that, is that still active? Are you still? Uh, you can Google it on Instagram under yeah. Mixed Blood Apparel. It, it did very well, Ryan, but I just. Um, I couldn't find the right manufacturing to uh, pr- produce it yeah. um, sustainably and stuff. So 
and then I, I got back into my journalism. So it kind of, well, you know, fell to the wayside. But it, if you look at the photos, you know, I did some pretty, uh, you know, pretty, pretty nice designs and, and, and did, you know, some leggings and, and incorporated a lot of these, uh, you know, to empower our people because our, our languages are endangered and our languages are connected to who we are, um, um, culturally and, and, every every aspect of our life so i was wow. on a mission to revive that <laughs> i had geez add fashion designer to the list all right well fine then uh but here's the comment that i wanted to get to uh because i think that this will mean something to you kimberly uh, is watching us live right now. She says uh, you helped her get out of bed this morning. She says she's been struggling with depression uh, and she's been having a hard time getting up, but she didn't want to miss this live stream. How does that make wow. you feel? Oh my gosh, hmm. that is amazing. You know, I've been there. I've struggled with depression. And if you go out and read my book, you'll read, you know, how I've been there and how I clawed my way out you know, every time. And so I encourage you to look for that fire and to unleash it, to unleash your fire, you know, of, uh, you know, of purpose in this world and it'll find you. Wow. That's beautiful. Hi, hi, Kimberly. See, people are starting to understand probably why we, we left the second half of this show open. We didn't book a second guest because you and I have been waiting to catch up for a long time. And, and I, I didn't want to rush this conversation. Can I ask you about a couple items in the news before we let you get, I know today's, yes. pres today's precious time with your family. Uh, and, and we don't want to, we don't want to infringe on that, but, but uh, why don't you get us up to speed? I know that. So one of the things that I think a great journalist does and, 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 and a journalist that understands uh, the importance of, of supported yeah. storytelling is that you don't just promote your own work. Uh, and people that follow you on Twitter at Songsters28 will see your timeline is full of, you're, you're promoting and amplifying other work, uh, including published in the Taiyi and, and other uh, mm. journalists that are covering what's happening in Wet'suwet'en right now. Uh, there are millions of dollars uh, uh, left outstanding right now with uh, indigenous partnerships. They're suing Coastal GasLink Pipeline. Uh, the numbers of the policing up uh, through that wetsuit and blockade uh, related to the CGL pipeline construction. Uh, Canadians have just been informed that it's that it's now top twenty five million dollars. The cost of of public the public cost of, of policing uh, that dispute there. I know that this is a story that you have reported on. It's a story you're keeping an eye on. Can you get us up to speed on on what's really catching your eye with regards to where this development is going up to the minute, so to speak? Yeah. So first off, I'd like to note that twenty five million dollars of public money is being used to enact human rights violations against First Nations people, the sovereign Wet'suwet'en, um, hereditary leadership and land defenders that have title to their lands, which has been proven in BC's highest uh, court systems. You know, they're being removed uh, for a pipeline po project, CGL LNG pipeline, to be bulldozed through their territories without their consent. And the uh, militarized police go in there with attack dogs and guns and, you know, all sorts of different uh, intimidation um, and have arrested these people. And they're out there surveilling them and following them hand in hand with this company, um, you know, along with the different levels of government 
And this is where your money's going. This is where if you, if people care about reconciliation, this is where this is key for you to stand up and declare that this is wrong. Because I have said before, and I say this, people say, oh, back in the day, if I would have known that, you know, residential schools were happening and these children were being taken and abused or, you know, other different atrocities, I would have done something. But then I look now and I say, well, we have this genocide of missing and murdered uh, women and girls. We have uh, instances like this where uh, our people are being, you know, treated uh, with violence right out in the open and people stand back and do nothing. So if people actually care about reconciliation, I encourage them to do something uh, in, in whatever way that they can, because it's wrong. And I am a journalist and I report on these things and, you know, I am not impartial at all when it comes to human rights violations. This is wrong. I know the facts of the story. And, um, you know, Canada, which is known around the world as this utopian place to live that, that upholds human rights violations is a facade. And it's getting away with this violence. It's no different than Russia invading Ukraine, Canada, this corporation, are invading sovereign territory. Brandy, I know that you've seen some of the some of the the chatter, uh, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure that you see people clap back at your reporting. Um, you recently uh, posted a piece back in the uh, end of September. So, you know, about three weeks ago at ricochet.media, people can read it, your story uh, on the Wet'suwet'en blockade. You spoke to Josie Alec, uh, and I'm hoping you can tell us about her and, and what's what's fueling her, her her conviction, her activism, if you want to call it that, her involvement here. Um, the, the point I wanted to get at with some of this feedback is you, you'll still you'll see people allege that that there's not a consensus uh among those first nations with regards to industry with regards to economic opportunity with regards to employment opportunities uh, there have been allegations that so-called professional protesters are there in, in a sense speaking on behalf of the people who have occupied that territory for, for thousands and thousands of years that unceded territory mm-hmm. what have you seen on the ground who have you talked to what's your sense and what would be your response to to that take on this story yeah, so in regards to people, uh, you know, discussing, you know, uh, about consent, that comes from a place of ignorance. That comes from a place of these corporations uh, skirting around their responsibilities to get the consent of the true title holders of that area and portraying to the public that they do have the consent. So, you know, the, the, the corporation CGL, you know, will state that they have permission from all 20 of the First Nations along the road, you know, to, uh, you know, sign agreements for this pipeline. Uh, when in fact, those are the elected leadership of, uh, you know, of these nations, which, you know, do not have any um, say over the traditional territories. They have um, control over the reservation boundaries. And people, please understand that these systems under the Indian Act of the elected chief and council systems were put in place by the federal government in order to control the First Nations people, um, you know, so 
so so these particular Witsuotan people had held on to their hereditary leadership systems, which is their own laws, their own culture and traditional systems that have been in place for millennia. And those still stand and they have the say over what happens in their traditional territories. This was proven, you know, in a Supreme Court of Canada case in the Dalgamut versus Gestewe uh, case. So, you know, when it comes to that, uh, you know, that's who who has the say, and they speak for, you know, all of the Wet'suwet'en people. And I'm going to tell you quickly too, you know, several years ago, I went and traveled along the pipeline route. I did a series for the National Observer and met with about five different First Nations along the route um, to get their take. And each one of those elected leaders told me they were coerced mm. by the province and the company into signing in. And, and this is a very complex, uh, you know, conflict with lots of different layers, right? We have reservations that are dealing with, um, you know, you know, poverty and so many different things, a lack of different economic opportunities, right? And then I've been on the ground there several times and they have what they call supporters that go there uh, from, you know, different places that may, that may be not, may, are non-native, uh, that go there and, and work at these different um, settlements that they have on their traditional territories um, sometimes. But everybody that I interact with there are with Suetin people. They are Indigenous and they are the ones who make the decisions from the top of the leadership down, from the hereditary leaders. And then they have, um, you know, others, you know, on the ground that... Um, you know, that work there and, and live there. So, I mean, there's a lot of different rumors that swirl around and conspiracies, but when it comes down to this, these are, you know, a group of people that have been historically oppressed that are standing up for the last of what they do have that hasn't, haven't been ravaged and taken. And the majority of the people up there on the ground, Ryan, are women. Mm. They're indigenous mothers, that are on the front lines of this protecting these territories for their future generations. Hmm. Uh, Mark Doran's watching us. He's uh, just Mark does uh, yeoman's work uh, when, when it comes to uh, getting, you know, I mean, he essentially orphan wells is, is, is Mark's jam uh, and he wants to see cleanup happen. And Mark's been on the show before and this guy is passionate about it. Anyway, he he chimes in and says closely related to land rights is the right to be safe on one's own land adjacent to land taken for an energy purpose. Uh, Mark says, I filed court action on that yesterday. That's an interesting point. Before we let you get to your family, uh, final question for you, Brandy. And, and I want to, we got to get your hands dirty a little bit and talk some politics here because you went on the record. I know you're not afraid to get into it. Um, oh, Alberta's yeah. new premier, Danielle Smith, issuing, I don't know, second or third apology uh, in her first yeah. week. It's been a bumpy road in, in the first week for Premier Danielle Smith uh, yesterday, uh, releasing this after Real Talk wrapped, by the way, uh, reads the headline of the statement. Premier condemns Russian invasion of Ukraine, apologizes for past comments. She says, I categorically condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine, uh, the indescribable suffering Russia has and still is inflicting upon the Ukrainian people prior to reentering politics earlier this year. I made ill-informed comments on Russia. 
Russia's invasion of Ukraine. My knowledge and opinion of this matter has drastically evolved since that time. I apologize for the previous comments. I stand with Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. It was politically inconvenient for the premier uh, to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of Ukrainians in Alberta pissed off at her, quite frankly. So I think that that's what prompted that. You were mm. tweeting from Chicago, Illinois, <laughs> and I saw that you've been, I know you don't take this lightly, uh, especially considering your reputation as a journalist, etc. cetera. Uh, you said you have deep concerns about mm. the new premier. You said she has a far right agenda. You said she's displayed disregard for people experiencing discrimination. And then you touched on the idea that these unmarked graves at residential schools, former schools in Canada, uh, the idea that they may be fake news or that they're unverified. I wanted to ask you about this before we say goodbye. Yes, yeah, so it is documented that uh, Danielle Smith has uh, referenced um, the unmarked graves of, of our children as, as fake news. That is horrifying. That, I mean, I, I, I can't even fathom it. Uh, you know, and, and for me, I personally used to, I used to work with Danielle Smith, okay? In 2014, I was, uh, you know, in between uh, doing my journalism, I was freelancing on the side, but I was very green to politics at that time. And, and I saw a job opening and I became, I was hired on as a scheduling assistant. So I worked with her executive assistant and Danielle had me write, she found out I was a writer and stuff. So she had me write some of her speeches that had to do with, uh, you know, Indigenous topics and stuff. And I only stayed there for about eight months when she was leader of the, you know, the Wild Rose. And what I witnessed there, again, I was very green to politics, but I was completely turned off uh, by what I witnessed, you know, happening there, these elected officials they, you know, it was all about how to get back at the other side, backstabbing, um, corruption. It was horrible. And so I ha I, I've been jaded by that. Right. And I haven't talked to Danielle in years other than honestly, probably a few years ago when she had me on her radio show to talk about the crisis of missing and murdered. And so when I when I became aware of her calling the graves of our children fake news and then, you know, talking about how, you know, the unvaccinated uh, people in Alberta have been the most discriminated against. I was actually stunned. I was stunned because I, I, I believe Danielle Smith to be a very smart woman. That, that is one thing that I remember from working with her. She may not have, you know, the best agenda. I know that she's really smart. And I found that that was just completely ignorant of her i was stunned and i'm i am i'm very concerned ryan sorry here's my little girl Alicia. oh well listen brandy uh and and i know that it feels kind of strange for for us to be talking about something so major um and so big and so important to people and then just to be like hey thanks talk to you later uh no, I know, I know. but but you, but this is an ongoing conversation brandy this door is always open you know that um we uh we are just so I mean, just as colleagues of yours, so proud of you. What you, you know, the honor and the recognition is so well deserved. The work you're doing is so incredibly important. Uh, this audience uh, is on the edge of its seat when you join us. Please thank Aww. that beautiful little one for sharing okay. their mama with us this morning. Thank you so much, <laughs> sweetheart. And Brandy, thank you.
thank you too and uh and you go get it back on the road tomorrow oh i should mention this let's let's pump the tires on this no big deal no big deal the 25th anniversary edition of david suzuki's classic the sacred balance out next week october 30th you naomi klein and david suzuki are going to be hanging out at the chan center people can check that out at chancenter.com isn't that insane i'm going with the legend ryan well you are one have you are you starting to realize (laughs) are you starting to realize (laughs) Hey, Brandy, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Hi, hi, Ryan. Take care. You got it. Edward R. Murrow Award winner, Brandy Morin. She's the author of Our Voice of Fire. I know some of you are going to want to know where you can find that book. We always encourage you uh, to support local wherever you can. We do. Um, And so, you know, you can, if you don't find it at your favorite bookshop, the best thing you can do, and you can help Brandy out on this too, is ask them to order it in. 100%. Ask them to order in five copies of it. And I also threw up a a pinned link in the chat here for chapters. Attaboy. the audio version on Audible as well. So Perfect. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, so there you go. Brandy Morin, Force of Nature. Uh, that conversation was presented by our friends at Local Environmental Services who encourage you to keep it local. You know, some people say it's only garbage. Not to them. Uh, they believe that communities deserve better. You know, they don't say customers. They're saying communities deserve better. Better prices, better service, more support for local causes. They're passionate about supporting the nonprofits and the charities where they live and work. I saw them out after acquiring Callahoo Waste at the Sturgeon County Mayor's Golf Tournament. Boy, oh boy, are they ever plugged in out there. Uh, people in different industries, of course, all finding fits with local environmental services. You can request your quote today at localenvironmental.ca. Don't forget to send us your trash talk on Friday. We'll get into them. Presented by Local Environmental. Uh, again, talk at ryanjesperson.com. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that the first of the month is less than two weeks away. And at Friesen Brothers, that means... off grocery purchases of $75 or more. That's a big deal for the family budget. Plus, Oktoberfest is back. Dinner with dessert, all the German favorites available at the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market location. So that's Stony Plain, the beautiful store in Fort Saskatchewan. That's the one you go to, right, pal? Drum Heller, Hinton Hill, Peace River, and their Rabbit Hill location in South Edmonton. That's October 29th and 30th, 10 days from now, uh, 4 to 8 p.m. You can find out more by visiting the Friesen.com website. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Hey, do you have your Covenant Foundation lottery tickets yet? What are you waiting for? November 3rd is the deadline for you to qualify for a life-changing win to move in the keys to a $2.2 million dream home. It's life-changing luxury. You can tour the home, see all the details at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. In support of Misericordia and Grey Nuns Hospitals, don't forget also, they're giving away a Jaguar, an Alfa Romeo. They're giving away a BMW. They're giving away a fly fishing trip. They're giving away a trip to Scotland. To That was a terrible accent. To Turk and Caicos. You can get your tickets today at covenantfoundationlottery.ca. And hey, you know, I wanted to give a shout out. You know, I talked to you about my pal Graham Duty. Well, he's more than a pal. He's my personal trainer. He's helping me get my life on track. Uh, if you're looking to do the same, I want you to check out GrahamDuty.com. That's D-O-O-D-Y, GrahamDuty.com. Click on the engine room link. You got a thing for indoor rowing. Graham is creating a community for people that maybe don't get out to the gym all the time. You have the apparatus. You want to get fit. Men in particular, are you like in that 40 to 70-ish age bracket? You want to age well? You want a high-touch, personalized training experience? Could be in-person time, customized homework, 
tailored to your goals. This is what Graham's done for me. A certified executive coach and personal trainer. You can find out more about the Engine Room Indoor Rowing Team. It's a monthly commitment. Better yourself with Graham Duty at GrahamDuty.com. John Hicks, I'm checking our email notifications yesterday. I'm checking our Twitter notifications yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I see a real talker by the name of Laurel. And she's, uh, she's reached out to us and she says, hey, real talk. John Hicks comments about art really ticked me off. She says, yeah, I'm an artist here. Art is life. She says, I was out walking my dog while listening to Real Talk. Thank you, Laurel. She says, my head almost exploded when Hicks pretty much said he likes music, theater, and dance, but not art. I don't think he realizes how much art is out there that he appreciates unknowingly. Does he not realize the design on his favorite shirt designed by an artist? Fabulous photos taken by an artist. So many things you pick out in a day designed by an artist. Art is vast and visually appealing. I was thinking about making it a trash talk, but I thought maybe we could have some fun with it today. Uh, I took a look at uh, Laurel's. Uh, she's she's a pretty pretty incredible artist. She's really herself. good. Yeah, she does characters, uh, and she's really good. Yeah, so I took a look at her Twitter and everything, and I think I, <laughs> I didn't say I don't like art. I said I don't get top shelf, hundred million dollar or more art. And I, I compared, you know, the picture Van Gogh, Sunflowers, we were talking about to a picture my wife did in high school where she did a rendering of it in a class. Yeah. And I can't tell the difference. And that's all I meant. I love artists. I love art. I even said, you know, dance, music, uh, acting, uh, graphic design. I can tell when things of that nature of art are good or bad. I just can't look like if you took me to a museum and it had the Mona Lisa and you know a Da Vinci and a Van Gogh and a Jean Baptiste, like even his work kind of confuses me. I, I just don't have the eye for it. But I think what's really funny is that Laurel kind of got upset that I, I'm stupid with art. It's like <laughs> I was kind of insulting myself saying that I don't get it, you know. But I do. I love and respect all artists. So I just wanted to say that again. I think if you look, listen back to the podcast, that's what I was saying. I never said, I don't like art. I said, I don't get it. I don't get why some of these paintings, like the Mona Lisa. Yeah, I look at it. I'm like, this is a beautiful picture of a woman. Obviously, he, you know, the, the backstory, he was yeah, like, is it really in love him with her. It was all the stuff. I get it. I get it. But... Uh, when they when they cost a hundred million dollars, I was looking after this after Laurel said this at the the top ten most expensive paintings in existence mm. now in the world, and I was looking at them and I was like, I, I still don't get it. Did they, did they say? Did that? <laughs> They're piece, beautiful. I'm putting you on the spot, but did it? Do you remember what the what the most expensive painting in the world is right well, now? Well, it's it's again, it's 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 subjective, right? I guess and it could some, change. Like as soon as someone pays more for something, that's, then that's the other the most... thing I don't get: art connoisseurs and who who puts these prices on these paintings is something I also don't get. So it, it was like ranges, right? But the top three, the number one is the Mona Lisa is the the most expensive in existence. And what do they value that, or is it they, someone will say it's priceless? I think but, it's over two hundred million or something like million. that. Like it's, it's it's ridiculous, close to two hundred million. I think I don't know, I can't remember, but. It, Dr. Martin's watching. He says, I totally understand where you're coming from, Johnny. Uh, Tony says, art is subjective. Like, what I like will be different from what other people like. It's like if I said I don't get the Eagles. 
And somebody was like, the Eagles are amazing. They like are- the cab driver in the Big Lebowski. Get yeah. the fuck out of and my I'd cab, like, man. Get out of my cab. I get it, man. The drummer's singing. They've got four, three, four guitarists. Like, I see the talent, but I just don't like playing it in my car on the way to work. Is that okay? I and, hate and that's the what Eagles, I was- <laughs> man. I hate the Eagles. I just don't want to listen I to the Eagles. I actually like the Eagles. I just think it's funny that they're so hot and cold. Like, you either love or hate the Eagles, right? Really? Like, people are like, yeah. Who do you think is the most, well, whatever. Are we going to get down a rabbit hole? I was going to say who's the most polarizing or It's like Hotel band. California. People either love or like turn that song off. I would love Hotel California if you didn't hear it so often, right? I, it's just I like the classic scene from California. Wayne's World. Like, isn't it? Oh, no, Stairway to Heaven. No, I Stairway to Heaven. never get tired In the guitar song. store. Uh, Painter <laughs> Lee in our live chat says, you have to understand art history and what is considered a seminal piece of work that advances art as a whole. A hundred percent. That's a major point. So this is what I did yesterday. I, I, I'm obviously not not going to just you know i don't think we argued on twitter with laurel but i'm not going to say things and then not go educate myself so i went and looked at art and i looked at like you know medieval art compared to today and i saw the progression of like how they didn't understand perspective before and then when that came into the fold and different and i get it i get the the like see you already know more about it than me well, I just took you know some what time I yesterday. Can I, can I, to give, look I want to give real right? talkers and, some insight into yeah. John Hicks and what makes you <laughs> you when you when you you are a reader and you are a researcher. You do deep dives into things. I'm just I can a Googler. Tell. Like if I don't know something, I want to know it right you're, away. You're perpetually curious, which is the tone that this show wants. That's why you're a great fit. Because I'm undereducated. I, <laughs> I love this from Erica. This is a great point. Erica says, "A, I may not get a lot of art, but I get why people get it." If that makes sense, which is an amazing way to put it. I'm with her, too. Like, yeah. I, 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 I get it. And somebody just said Nickelback argument. Same thing, right? But again, like, people why, either love why or do hate people Nickelback. Hate, yeah, I guess. I mean, if I'm Chad yeah. Kroger, this is this is what people can't stand about. Do I dare bring up J.K. Rowling? I know that this she's a little I'm not going to like Chad Kroger's going, hang on a second. You're me and J.K. Rowling because J.K. Rowling is, is mm-hmm. sort of become a bit of a troll. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I think she's the best-selling author in history, isn't mm-hmm. she? The author of the Harry Potter series and everything else. She's one of the best-selling authors in history. Uh, but her take on on trans identity and uh, they, them pronouns, and, and I, I haven't, like, I don't know the story well enough to really dig into it, but, but people have been disappointed. I mean, like, wide swaths of people mm-hmm. have been disappointed. Readers of hers, voracious readers, have felt betrayed uh, because they expected more of a compassionate or empathetic or progressive point of view from mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling and I saw a tweet the other day from her where someone basically said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, like, what's it like to wake up and realize that you've you've lost millions of fans or whatever? Yeah. And she tweeted, you know, I check my most recent royalty check and I sleep just fine. Um, <laughs> and, and it's I mean, it's true. Nice but, flex. But it, yeah. Nice flex. But it's also kind of <laughs> like, all right, like that's not the most. you know. So. So anyway, the point is, like, there's there's that sort of division. Um and then just on the money front of the success front with Nickelback, you think Nickelback cares that that, that they're probably the most no. mocked band in Canada? Like what most Nickelback's in Canada, they're the most right? successful band yeah. probably in Canadian history. Yeah. With regards to actual album sales, mm-hmm. someone's gonna call me to the carpet on that fact, and it's probably someone else like Slintion might be. Uh, Celine Dion, Brian Adams, yeah, who, who else would is be like, like she's in Vegas now? That's where artists go to like yeah. die, right? But like Nickelback, still here, still touring, still making music, still making money. They're probably like if Nickelback top launched sure. a stadium series today, they would sell it out. 
I think we're losing listeners as we have this conversation about Nickelback. And well, that's a, now that you that's stayed an hour into the show, we're pleased to present Chad Kruger of Nickelback. <laughs> Sometimes you got us a Chad. Tell us about the most recent Lamborghini purchase. But even with the J.K. Rowling thing, that's another thing. And I don't want to get too into it because my wife loves the Harry Potter. And I watch it and I'm like seems like it's for kids i don't really well, yeah. get why people are so obsessed with that but then again i like like the lord of the rings series and i watch house of the dragon game of thrones so it's all subjective right yeah but the point i was trying to make yesterday is i just and i think a lot of people are in this boat not only who are listening just in general in the world you can't look at a piece of art and not be an expert and be like, that, oh, yeah, that's $100 million or that's $50 million. Or, or if you go to a museum and I was to look at a $100 million painting and one that's two grand, I, I mean, they're both beautiful. Sure. They're both awesome. Sure. What makes this one? Because it's older, maybe, I guess. But well, yeah, if like they were done in the same it, time And frame, like Painter Lee said, what yeah. it did to the, to the, to the cultural climate. Or if the it earth, created like, a shift. If, in it, the, if it moved music forward. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what, what set... Um, like what are some good examples? Like who have been the culinary geniuses? I mean, you look at like Anthony Bourdain, for example, mm-hmm. and how he story told around the culinary arts and, and arts and travel, or, or you look at, uh, someone that changed the game and brought like, like an entrepreneur, like I think of like, like an Oprah Winfrey, for example, and what mm-hmm. she did for, to advance so many things. And I'm just like off the Jimmy top Hendrix of my head, with Jimmy guitar, Hendrix with like, his guitar, like Stevie Ray yeah, Vaughan, probably or, the envelope. I get it. What have you. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, amazing stuff. Maybe we should give a shout out to like Joni Mitchell or some other, you know, throw well, some more out Canadian Laurel. content into there. She, she, she in, inspired me to go uh, learn more about art. So I followed her. Now, I love it. Now she followed me back. So I love it. It wasn't an argument. It was more of, you know, I, I just, trying to state exactly what I was going to say. You know me. I love breakdancing and graffiti. And I understand. Like, I can go look at graffiti here in this beautiful city two blocks from here and be like, this was done by an amazing tagger artist, whoever. Yeah. And I get that art. Maybe it's because I grew up with it, with music and DJing and stuff. But I, you know, I'm no art connoisseur, which... Hey, you're approaching the conversation with humility, <laughs> right? Which I think is great. Uh, Tracy says sports is like art. Like, it's very subjective as well. Some people spend thousands on it. She's absolutely right. Like, you want to go to a National Hockey League game? You want, like, the worst seats in the house? It's like $100. <laughs> you want the best seats in the house? I mean, these boxes, people spend $10,000 a game, right? So Tracy says some spend thousands. I had the opportunity to get Wayne Gretzky's autograph and I passed on it. <laughs> I was happy just to read my book. You know, uh, Lee, by the way, painter Lee follows up and says, next time you go to a gallery, read the artist's statement to see what inspired them to do that body of work, which I think is awesome. That's a great point. Just to weigh in here on the Nickelback thing, uh, he's done two songs with Santana. So obviously if Santana thinks... Chad Kroger's pretty good, and he's probably a pretty talented guy, right? With Carlos Santana. Just, yeah. Just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Dwayne says the most iconic Canadian band is Rush. Uh, uh, that's that's bullshit, Dwayne. No, it's not. You think Rush Trump's Tragically Hip is the most iconic Canadian? I'm not even going to hear the argument. Real when talk. When I think of Canadian rock bands, I, Rush is, comes to sure. mind first. Sure. Like in the like top 10. That and Tragically Hip. In like the top right 10. Away. But right. iconic, the word iconic like, you know, I see a lot of in Gord we trust. I don't see a lot of in Getty we trust. Mm-hmm. No offense to Getty Lee or the rest 
of, okay, we're oh, down a rabbit hole. Like his voice. Oh, I, I mean, Getty Lee's brilliant. I've seen Rush live, and they're unbelievable. And the drumming. I'm a, I'm a bit of a you know casual drummer, and and uh, I always I always fixate on the drums at concerts. And of course, Rush is incredible on that front. Foo Fighters, uh, may he rest in peace. The the the, the Foo Fighters drummer that passed away earlier mm-hmm. this year. Uh, probably the best drumming exhibition I've seen live. You can send us your nomination for the for the best live show you've ever seen. Give us your take on art, whether it's going to be a submission for Trash Talk this Friday or maybe. Or Maybe we've just prompted you to think. Laurel gets John. No, no, no. Johnny gets Laurel thinking. Laurel gets Johnny thinking. And then we hope to get you thinking. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us an email. Every Wednesday, we are lucky enough, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper, to head out to the mountains. It's my Jasper memories. And this week, we want to remind you that we're into week two. I mean, they've had their first weekend. It's the first coming up to the second weekend of the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. If ever you're going to explore the universe uh, from the bounds of Earth, the most magical place to do it is Jasper National Park. All right, the second and final weekend of the Jasper Dark Sky Festival is coming up. There's a few key events which I want to tell you about. There's the Friday night package deal. That's coming up in just a couple of days. 20 bucks for the two following events. So at 7 p.m. Friday evening, Rob Meyerson's going to pull back the curtain on a story that most people haven't heard, how he helped turn Jeff Bezos' vision for space exploration into reality. You're going to learn about Blue Origin, feats of innovation, flying machines, And then Jay Ingram, the podcaster, the broadcaster, the science communicator is going to take the stage to talk about what angels might actually look like. All right. Now, on Saturday, this is going to be really cool. Uh, Retired Royal Canadian Air Force Major Janil Janjua is going to deliver a keynote. uh, What it means to be an explorer. What's left to discover and how space and Earth exploration drive each other forward. What an opportunity. And then Dr. Sarah Jane Pell is going to wrap it up. Uh, She's come all the way to Jasper from Australia. How cool is that? And she's an accomplished aquanaut. Uh, It'll be an informative performance keynote. She's going to take you through a simulated moon crash and describe how you might survive in face of unique and mounting difficulties. It's a lot of fun. Plus, of course, the telescopes and the understanding of the world around us, the insights into that magnificent dark sky. It's the Jasper Dark Sky Festival. You can learn more. You can book your tickets. You can get yourself hooked up for this weekend, a weekend you will never forget by checking out jasperdarksky.travel. Of course, if you're out there posting photos on Instagram and Twitter, we want to see them. Use the hashtags MyJasper and RealTalkRJ. You can see your masterpiece featured on a future Wednesday right here on Real Talk. Oh, I got to get out there. I start thinking about stuff like that, like like what intelligent life outside the parameters of the boundaries of Earth might look like and why have we not yet found it? And I know, I know this is an audience doing. that's open to dreaming about that kind of doing. stuff. What you're am I queuing doing? up a future spooky UFO. No, not spooky. Outer space. Not spooky. Paranormal. Inspiring, Ghost exciting. story themed Friday ahead of Halloween. It's coming up on October. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We are working on a couple of really cool conversations and that's because we got real talkers chiming in and letting us know what they'd love to hear on the show. Before we wrap, I want to tell you about our friends at Apex Automation. I feel like this is a great opportunity for somebody. You never know who's going to be watching this show, maybe listening to the podcast, an engineer, a professional engineer that's just sick and tired, fed up of feeling 
underappreciated by their employer. Apex Automation is innovating in industrial control systems engineering and software development solutions for any industrial process. Drafting services, process engineering, electrical and control panel design and fabrication. You know, they're working in upstream oil extraction facilities like SAG-D, pipelines, natural gas processing facilities, chemical manufacturing plants in, in, in Edmonton, Saskatoon, Vancouver, potash mining in Saskatchewan, robotics, brewing. ApexAutomation.ca, your new career with a team that values your time could be beginning today. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website. At Eden Landscaping, Mike and his team want to remind you that the best laid plans begin with plenty of time. That's why right now is a great time to reach out to them and get the ball rolling on bringing your outdoor space to life. You know, oftentimes they're pulling property reports. They've got to draft these plans. they got to order your construction materials. We want to hit the ground running in the spring, so why not get started today? Go through those Pinterest boards, show Mike the pages you've ripped out of the landscaping magazines, and find out why they have so many return and referral-based customers. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you'll find Eden Landscaping. At St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge, they've got you covered. Whether you're looking for a fuel-efficient four-cylinder machine, maybe something electric like that new Jeep Wrangler 4xe, or maybe you need the big Hemi. Maybe you're looking for the one-ton dually to pull a horse trailer, to pull a holiday trailer, to fit the family as you get set to hit the road. You can chat with their teams directly online by way of their websites or go see them in person. Of course, their sales team partnering with their service team to ensure the customer relationships continue through the years you own those vehicles. Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, proud partners with Real Talk. And of course, the fall blizzard menu is upon us at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Feast your eyes on that world-famous pumpkin pie blizzard. I was telling you, I crushed one over the weekend. That thing didn't stand a chance, John. The whipped cream, the real chunks of pumpkin pie. I was wrestling between getting that and the cinnamon roll blizzard, so I'm going to have to hit that one up, too. The Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Palisades, Domeo, Newcastle, Westbound, and Baseline Road. One bite for you, a one bite for me, a one bite for you, a one bite for me. Can you put the uh, pumpkin pie and the cinnamon uh, together? Yeah. They're like, buddy, buddy. Uh, when you're at those Dairy Queens, you make sure you let them know that you're there because you heard about them on Real Talk. Hey, coming up on tomorrow's show, I'm really looking forward to this. We've had this thing booked for like a month because she is in high demand. Uh, psychologist and author Dr. Jody Carrington is going to be joining us. We want to talk about meeting in the middle. We want to talk about polarized society. We want to talk about reconciling with friends and neighbors and family heading into, you know, the holiday season. She's the expert on that. It's a real talk you won't want to miss. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, 
Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.